What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. It sure does. And live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson. In tonight for Melissa Lee, our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, a roller coaster. I hate that. Why, you know, Tyler, we had a whole conversation. (laughs) Some would call it a roller coaster ride on Wall Street as stocks bounce between gains and losses throughout the session. We will find out what is driving all of the volatility. Also, whose hand is that uh, coming in there? Look at that. There's somebody's wow. hand. Also ahead, shares of NVIDIA and Applied Materials. They're both on the move after reporting uh, results. Those conference calls kicking off. We'll bring you the latest. And that one, bigger fraud than Enron. Allegations about that company, GE, having its worst day in more than a decade after a whistleblower, a high-profile one, called it bigger than Enron fraud-wise. We'll have the full fallout. We begin, though, with that topsy-turvy Thursday for your money. Wild market swings uh, on Wall Street. She's down, she's up, she's down, she's up. Many investors left with their heads spinning, falling yields, China headlines, consumer data, all driving big moves. So how should investors navigate all of the volatility? Guy, I'm going to start with you. It's been a week where we began with 10% tariffs coming in, market goes down. The president then says, well, I'm going to postpone for some. Market goes up. Yesterday, yield, cl- yield curve goes negative. Today, back up. First of all, How do great, you deal with great to have you on nice board. Nice to be back. And what's the cheapest thing you can do? Pay attention, right, Pete? Darn right. Cheapest thing you can do, Todd. Cheapest now, you thing. weren't here a week or so ago, but Pedro was sitting over there on the hook, and he said something that resonated, resonated. with me here over, and he said, you're going to see volatility within volatility. And I sort of scratched my head, but it makes sense, and you saw it today. I mean, market's up 100 points, big deal. Well, probably had an 800 points up, down, up, down during the day. There was huge swings. To answer your question, if you don't like it, well, that's a problem because I think volatility is here to stay for the foreseeable future. The VIX closed at 22. I think it's going to push towards 30. That's where it's crescendoed the last two times the market has bottomed out. And I think you're going to continue to see it. I think what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks is you're going to have these sideways moves that trend lower. And that's where we're headed, in my opinion. I get the idea, Karen, that if you are a trader and you like volatility because you can identify certain things that might give you a target of opportunity and move in. That's one thing. But if you're a long-term investor, following headlines, watching the tweets, and every little twitch in Twitter of the market, that can be a dangerous thing to do, right? No doubt. It's a recipe for disaster. I mean, the idea that you're going to be able to come in at the bottom and buy, right? And then you're going to know when the market's topped out and you're going to sell. And you're going to do that really efficiently over and over. That's just not possible. So if you know, I mean, you know, there's Pete, who's on the one end of the spectrum you talked about, just trading, trading all the time. I'm very much a long-term investor. So I generally like these pretty volatile markets when stocks trade down in integers because that tells and me you something can get else some, is you going And you can get, you can get however, a bargain. lately I've been very concerned that it's, it's worse than just a, some movement in the market. That what tells something, you that? I, I think that... I'm, the bond move today, that concerns me. I don't Down know why that happened. To me, though, the, the biggest thing is the tariff uncertainty. It uh, it's, it's creates uncertainty, which causes 
people to, not consumers yet, but CEOs to pull back, and that, I think, causes spending to decline, and that ends up being a bad thing. Pete, how have you been playing the volatility within the volatility? What have you been doing this week? Well, I think you do use opportunities. Karen mentioned some of what I do, some of the trading, but some of that trading actually is even for long term. So I'll give you a great example. When we see these big pushes to the downside and we see this volatility that absolutely skyrockets, August 1st, we were 13.80. By August 5th, we were over 24. Now we're trading at 22 on the volatility index. Today, they bought 150,000 VIX calls going out into August at the 26th strike. So volatility looks like it wants to hang around to your point, Guy, and volatility within volatility is volatility. I mean, it's just crazy. So there are opportunities. You sell off on a stock that I think has a better value than where it's sold down to, but if I'm buying that stock and now I've got an implied volatility that gives me room to be able to sell a call that normally trades at a dollar or two that's now trading maybe close to double that, if you look at what's happened with the VIX, Then it gives you a little more protection to the downside. It also gives you that much more room to the upside if you're buying stocks and selling calls against it. So I think there are great opportunities out there, Tyler. And matter of fact, volumes have been absolutely outrageous in August. We're five million per day over the average for year to date in terms of options volume right now. So and it's it's August. Yeah, and it's been yeah August, which everybody says, hey, you know, everybody's up vacation, everybody's this and that. Stuff happens in August, though. Yes, every year. And it's been very, very volatile, but it's something interesting. This August, we've had three of the biggest percentage moves, uh, daily moves, in just the last couple weeks of of the whole entire year. And I think what's really interesting to think about, you know, in Q4, we got very used to two, three percent moves in in the major averages um, intraday. Um, You know, listen, that was a little different of a situation. I think it's kind of what you're talking about, Karen. You were kind of probably a little nervous last November for a lot of the same reasons. Here now, a lot of those reasons are coming up again. And I'll just mention this, that over the last year and a half or so, we've had three incremental new highs from the January 2018 high, but we've had some quick um, pullbacks. We've had two 7% ones, one 12%, and a 20% in Q4 of 2018. If you're an investor, that gives you opportunities to leg into some of your best positions. If it also happens right after earnings season, where we get a lot of single stock gaps, it gives you the opportunity. I'll just give you a couple good examples in the last couple weeks. Google, Alphabet, a name that you own, it had this 10% gap last month after earnings, right? And then it came in and filled the entire gap. And if you liked that back then, and you were long it then, and you liked it when it was up 10% after earnings, and now it's filled in the gap, then you should like it just as much right here, unless something fundamentally has changed. And it gives you the opportunity to kind of dollar cost average into positions. And that is the one thing that this market has given you over the last 19 months for things that you really like to kind of reload on pullback. Hey, by the way, Tyler, I'll just yeah. add one more thing to this conversation. You said how much of a move we had today. We had as big a move in the pre-market before we opened, we moved over 800 points. If you add, we were up, we were down, we came back up again, we pulled back. I mean, the moves just in the pre-market, that was 800 points worth of movement before the day started. Yeah. I mean, it gives you a little idea, Tyler, something we, we talk about all the time. Algorithms, whether it's the upside or the downside, we are seeing computers absolutely driving they the market right it. now. They absolutely, they do. Before absolutely. I turn back to, uh, uh, to Guy, what have you been doing with your unease? Well, uh, I haven't. Usually I buy into markets like this. I haven't. I'm always long protection. I've been scared but selling it because I do think, I hear you, volatility absolutely could go higher, but these are the kind of markets that you buy vol- you buy protection for. Yes. So two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, you, the VIX was 12 and change. You could buy puts there. And now at 20, it hit 20, close to 24 the other day, 22, 3 yesterday. You have to sell. All right, let's uh, take a break here and go uh, talk a little bit more about these wild swings in the market uh, and whether they are the new reality or not. It doesn't mean, however, that you can't find a way 
to put your money to work efficiently. And our next guest has three ways to play the uncertainty. Right, what we've been talking about. Let's go to the charts with Fundstrat's Rob Slimer. Rob? Great. Thanks, Tyler. So, look, a tremendous amount of uncertainty like everyone's talking about. Market's very volatile. We had all this damage happening here. A lot of really bad-looking charts in a very short period of time. The levels are going to matter now over the next few days as the market comes down and retests these key levels. Let's talk about a few of them. So we have this low here. That's 28, 22, 20 uh, that the market needs to hold on this pullback, and we're coming right down to those levels. That's going to be really critical here in the next couple of days. You've got a 200-day moving average sort of working its way through here. That level is around uh, 2794, pardon me. And that's going to be really critical if folks are going to focus on. But the one that I think is going to be incredibly important are these two lows, the June low and the May low. And so, if guys, right, we're going to get a spike in volatility. We're probably going to see the market move down to this 27, uh, I believe that's 27, 28, I think is the low. And that's going to be really critical as well. So watch those levels. The key upside level here is around 29.43. So now let's step back and take a look at where... That plays in a bigger picture, in the bigger market cycle. Now, we've talked about this many times. We think that the lows in 2016, off that 200-week or four-year moving average, was an important cycle low. And we thought the same thing here coming off the lows in December. And so far, that's been a decent call. But now we're starting to see all this data unwind. Here's what's interesting. Back in 2016, right in August, we saw another peak. And this momentum indicator barely rallied up to the halfway up the range, and it failed. That's exactly what we're seeing here. So as we move through all this uncertainty, we have Brexit and a whole bunch of other issues to face. We sort of have a very similar pattern going into the balance of Q3, where I think we get a lot of churn. Now, the correction there obviously went into the election, and we got that 6% drop towards the end of the move. We have already have that in place. So again, these levels, that 28.22 and 27.28, are going to be very, very important. I think the market is going to hold at those levels. Now, how do you play it? Lots of uncertainty. Do you want to be long cyclicals? Do you want to be long defensive? Or do you want some sort of hybrid? So we've been fans of the semiconductors all the way through, and now they're coming down to an absolutely critical level. I believe this level up here is 114. I think this level down here is at, uh, I believe that's 107. And that's going to be really important support, and it needs to hold. If it doesn't hold that, it's probably on its way down to this sort of 97, 98, pardon me, on the, on the writing there. So very key levels. I like it as a long right here. It's very high risk. It's not for everybody. If you don't like the cyclicals in the market, you don't want to play it. But for traders, very tight stops. It's an interesting trade. I continue to like semiconductors into the year end. Now, on the other side of that, let's take a look at the defensive side, because I think what's happening with gold is really interesting. Now, it's had a move, right? We've had this move from, you know, out of this trading range, somewhere around 25, and I think this level up here is around 30, 31. It's had a bit of a bounce, but I think... Rob, I'm going to interrupt you, if I might, because... Uh, I, I, yes, come on back. Uh, Just bring them all Because over. the president is making some comments oh, uh, bear, that bear upon uh, the China trade situation and more, so let's go down to Washington. numbers were announced today, which really is a great indicator how well our country is doing, how well our economy is doing. Those are real numbers. Uh, Walmart announced, others announced. We had some tremendous numbers come out today, which I'm sure you saw... So we're very happy about that. Uh, we're doing very well. Uh, the economy is incredible. The consumer, probably above all else, the consumer is doing incredibly. So go ahead. Any questions? Well, I think we're going to have a very long period of wealth and success. 
Other countries are doing very poorly. As you know, China is doing very, very poorly. Uh, the tariffs have really bitten into China. They haven't bitten into us at all, uh, except for the reporters that want to make it look that way, but they don't understand what's happening. The tariffs, we've taken in close to $60 billion in tariff money, and the consumer has not paid for it. Now, at some point, they may have to pay something, but they understand that. And who really understands that is our great farmer. The farmers of this country really understand that they know we had to do something about China, and we're doing something about China. With that being said, I think we're having very good discussions with China. They very much want to make a deal. We'll see what happens. We had a deal, and they decided not to make it. Now I think they would like to have had that opportunity again, because I think they really would. I think they really missed a great opportunity. I think they feel that they missed a great opportunity. But China very much wants to make a deal. We're talking to them. We'll see what happens, yeah. But why did you feel the need to get involved in the two congresswomen's trip to Israel? Well, I'm only involved from the standpoint of uh, they are very anti-Jewish and they're very anti-Israel. I think it's disgraceful, the things they've said. You have lists of, uh, this isn't just a one-line mistake. What they've said about Israel and Jewish people is a horrible thing, and they've become the face of the Democrat Party. So uh, I did absolutely put out a very strong statement. I think if you look at their language, if you look at what they've said, if I ever said it, it would be uh, it would be a horrible it would be a horrible month to put it mildly. So the things that they've said, uh, Omar, Talib, what they've said is uh, disgraceful. So I can't imagine why Israel would let them in. But if they want to let them in, they can, but I can't imagine why they would do it. Are you worried that a prolonged trade war with China will pitch the economy into a recession? No, I think the longer the trade war goes on, the weaker China gets and the stronger we get. We're taking in massive amounts of money, billions and billions of dollars, Steve, as you know. And I think the longer it goes, the stronger we get. I have a feeling it's going to go fairly short. I think it's going to be uh, China's lost millions of jobs. You saw that reported today. Uh, Thousands of companies are closing in China, and I don't know, you know, maybe they want to do this for a year. They'd love to have somebody like Biden who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I just put a clip where he said, oh, we want to build up China. We want to build up China. Well, they gave us a very strong China. China's taken out over $500 billion a year for many years from our country. And that's not going to happen anymore. How concerned are you? Let me just follow up. Sorry. How concerned are you about a violent crackdown by the Chinese in Hong Kong? Well, I am concerned. I wouldn't want to see a violent crackdown. I put a little bit of a memo out last night. He's a man I like a lot. I get along with him very well, President Xi. And I said that I would be willing to bet that if he sat down with the protesters, a group of representative protesters, I'll bet he'd work it out in 15 minutes. I bet he'd work it out very quickly. I know it's not the kind of thing he does, but I think it wouldn't be a bad idea. I really believe if he sat down, they have a certain little leadership pool. If he sat down with that leadership pool, I'll bet he'd work something out very quickly. It really seems like things that could be worked out pretty easily. Did you China said Prime Minister Netanyahu about the Congress? I don't want to comment about who I spoke to, but I think my social media statement pretty well speaks for itself. I feel that uh, they are so anti-Israel, so anti-Jewish. Again, if other people made that statement, there would have been hell to pay. So, but I did speak to people over there. Yeah.
Uh, sir, China has said that they want to retaliate, that they're going to retaliate because of the tariffs increase that you announced. What's your response to that? Well, if they did retaliate, which I don't think they will do because we're talking to them and they're offering things that are very good, I don't think they'll retaliate. But if they did, uh, we have the ultimate form of retaliation. I think they'd have very few jobs left in China because we'd be able to step it up. Just so you understand, I've been very mild about it. Very, very mild. There's a long way I can go. And somebody had to take on what was happening with China. We can't allow China to take out of our country $507 billion every year, not including intellectual property theft and so many other things. So we're having very good talks with China. I think things will happen, but we'll see. If they do retaliate, will you want your team to meet with them in September as planned or no? Well, that's true. Look, September, the meeting is still on, as I understand it. But I think more importantly than September, we're talking by phone and we're having very productive talks. They would like to do something. I will tell you that. And the talk we had a few days ago with my two representatives, uh, nobody knew what was on that talk except for myself, China, and those two people. Uh, that was a very good conversation. Do you want Jay Powell to cut interest rates some more? Jay Powell should be cutting rates because every country all over the world is cutting and we want to stay sort of even. And I don't mind if we're higher, we're better, we're a better credit, but we're way too high. Jay Powell's made a big mistake. He uh, raised them too fast, and he also quantitative tightened. He did quantitative tightening. That was a big mistake. $50 billion a month, and it put us in a position. And interestingly, even with normalized interest rates, President Obama was paying nothing, and we have a much better economy. And you have to look at our economy also from the day after my election, because we picked up tremendous steam the day after the election. That's not attributable to President Obama. They only did that because of us. So when somebody says from January 20th, it's not from January 20th, it's from November 9th, the day after the election. We picked up the fact that I won lifted our economy greatly. And if I didn't win, it would go down. And frankly, if for some reason that happened in the 2020 election, You'll see this economy go down the tubes. I will tell you that right now. Mr. President, do you have any uh, idea on when China's going to follow through on their egg purchases and crack down on fentanyl? They want to follow through very quickly. Uh, this was part of the conversation that we had. Uh, they had a special representative actually come over and talk to us, a different group, and a message to me, a very strong message to me. They want to start doing that very quickly. I'll be honest, I'm not there yet. It's not China. I'm not there yet. We'll see what happens. I do want to, I really would like to see China in a humane way solve the problem in Hong Kong. Humanely solve the problem in Hong Kong. And I think they could do it very quickly. You know, I, I said yesterday, I really have a lot of confidence in President Xi. I know that if he sat down with their representatives, I have no doubt he would solve that problem quickly. No, I don't encourage or discourage. I think that if Israel allowed them to come in for the normal reasons, other than those reasons, I really believe that it would be a terrible thing for Israel. I think it would show a terrible sign. Uh, they want to do boycotts. They said horrible things about Jewish people. They said horrible things about Israel and Israelis. I think it would be a terrible thing, frankly, for 
Israel to let these two people who speak so badly about Israel come in. And they have become, amazingly, the face of the Democrats. The Democrats don't want to do anything to condemn them. If they were, if this were 10 years ago, or if this were maybe a different time, or different people, or whatever, they would be condemned for the things they've said. They've said some of the worst things I've ever heard said about Israel. So how can Israel say, oh, welcome? I, I don't think it would be a good thing for Israel. Steve King needs to resign. I don't know the situation with Steve King. It looked like I read a statement that supposedly he made. Uh, I haven't been briefed on it, but certainly it wasn't a very good statement. So the, you're going to go to the G7 pretty soon, and I think you're going to meet with Boris Johnson. Are you going to have some sort of declaration about the intent to seal a trade deal with him, with the, the Britain? So we're dealing with the U.K. on trade and a trade deal, and we're going to have a great deal made. I've been dealing with Boris Johnson. I just spoke to him yesterday. I'll speak to him again. Uh, he and I are very much aligned. We feel very good about each other. I think we'll make a fantastic and big trade deal with the U.K., Actually, we should do much more business than we're doing with the UK. You know, it's a, uh, they're probably, I, I don't want to say our closest because I don't want to insult other people, but certainly, or countries, but certainly they're one of our closest allies anywhere in the world. And we're going to have a fantastic relationship with UK and we're going to have a great trade deal with UK. And that's moving along rapidly. Any other goals for the G7, sir? I think just relationship. We'll see what happens. We have a lot of things to discuss. A lot of things to discuss. Is Corey going to announce tonight? I don't know. Corey Lewandowski, I think, would be terrific if he ran, but I don't know that he's going to run. I spoke to him about it a week ago. Frankly, I think it's something he'd like to do, but I don't know that he's going to do it. I think he'd be very good. He's He loves New Hampshire. He loves our country. If he did it, I think he'd be very formidable. We're going to look at that very closely, and we're looking at the whole gun situation. I do want people to remember the words mental illness. These people are mentally ill, and nobody talks about that. But these are mentally ill people, and people have to start thinking about it. I think we have to start building institutions again because, you know, if you look at the 60s and 70s, so many of these institutions were closed, and the people were just allowed to go onto the streets. And that was a terrible thing for our country. They closed them. Cities couldn't afford them. And they closed them. I mean, I can tell you, in New York, they closed a lot of them. And the people went out. They went out onto the streets. And it's a terrible thing. But a lot of our conversation has to do with the fact that we have to open up institutions. We can't let these people be on the streets. So we have a tremendous crowd in New Hampshire. It's uh, all over the place. Everybody's saying, wow. Our competitor has virtually no crowd. I don't know what that means. I assume that's a poll of some kind. But I think we're going to do very well in New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire should have been won uh, last time, except we had a lot of people come in at the last moment, which was a rather strange situation. Thousands and thousands of people coming in from locations unknown. But I knew where the location was. But I think we're going to have, I think we're going to have a tremendous success in New Hampshire. These are great people, and uh, the relationship is very good. We're looking at it. I feel very badly. I think he was very harshly sentenced, but we're looking at it very strongly. People feel very strongly about that. 
I floated it, and I wanted to see where the Democrats stood, where the Republicans stood. People feel very strong about Rod Blagojevic and his sentence. Uh, he's been in there for seven and a half years. That's a long time. And what he did was uh, terrible, but it's a long time. It's a long time. Are you pushing Mitch McConnell on background checks? I've been dealing with Mitch McConnell. Uh, he's a man who we have had tremendous success with judges and judicial appointments. We're going to be up to 179 federal judges within the next two months. Nobody would have believed that's possible. And that was because President Obama was unable to get them completed. So I inherited about 138 empty seats. Nobody can believe it. And we will have them almost all filled with tremendous judges and tremendously talented, smart people. They'll be filled within two months. So I have 179 judges and two Supreme Court justices. That's something that nobody would have ever well, thought possible. I want to thank very much President Obama for that. I was asking about background checks for gun owners, for gun purchasers. Yeah, we do. I've been speaking to Mitch about that. I've been speaking to everybody about it. And we don't want to see crazy people owning guns. But I also want to remember that mental illness is something nobody wants to talk about. These people are mentally ill, and we have to study that also. Because, you know, it's them. They pull the trigger. The gun doesn't pull the trigger. They pull the trigger. So we have to look very seriously at mental illness, and we're doing that at a level that hasn't been done before. Okay? Are there other Republicans you're speaking with, Mr. President, besides the Senate Majority yeah. Leader and Pat Toomey? Is there anyone else who you're talking to? To many Republicans. And I'll tell you, it's... Uh, it's been pretty an amazing experience. They want to see something happen. And basically, it's very simple. They don't want to have insane people, dangerous people, really bad people having guns. Republicans agree with me on that. I think, you know, I would say pretty much uniformly. Do you think this will be easy to do when the Senate comes well, back? I'm afraid or? that if we came up with a good bill, I think the Democrats then might up it and then do things that can't be done and that the public wouldn't want done. Uh, I hope that wouldn't happen, but that's happened in the past. You, you understand that. you support universal background checks? I support strong, meaningful background checks where people that should not have guns, people that are insane, people that are mentally ill, people that are bad, bad people, like this guy in Philadelphia who has been arrested numerous times. He's a bad guy where people like that would not have guns. And frankly, people like that should be locked up. He shouldn't have even been on the streets. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you talk to Xi directly? Was that who you talked to in China? Uh, I will speak to him. Uh, we have a call scheduled soon. President Xi will be speaking to him very soon. Uh, I really believe he can work it out. I know him well. If he wants to, he can work that out in a very humane fashion. He can work something that everybody's happy. Thank you. And the president there uh, leaving Morristown, New Jersey, uh, for a campaign event, a rally in uh, New Hampshire later this evening, taking a lot of questions, uh, many of which bear on trade, uh, on the situation in Hong Kong. And for a wrap-up, let's go to Kayla Tausche in Washington. Lots of news on trade. None of it, I think, Kayla, anything that he had not in one way or another said before. 
Well, that last bit, Tyler, that he uh, saved for last uh, is perhaps the newsiest bit of that entire uh, event right there. He said he has a call scheduled with President Xi of China and that they will speak soon. There was an expectation that perhaps some of the free traders within the White House had been pushing President Trump to speak with President Xi before this September 1st tariff deadline to at least try to work out another truce or figure out uh, if they could keep this situation from escalating. There had been a question over whether that would in fact happen, whether President Trump was even on board with that idea. But right there, he just confirmed that he plans to speak with China's president uh, very soon. He addressed the situation in Hong Kong. He said again that he hopes China solves that in a humane way. But on the trade front, he gave a lot of headlines there. He said that he hopes China follows through on its agricultural purchases uh, very quickly. He said they're having productive talks. And he says uh, that the U.S. is offering them some things that are very good. He didn't elaborate on exactly what those very good things are, Tyler, but we know there's a deadline on Monday for the U.S. to perhaps extend some licenses for Huawei to continue doing businesses with U.S. companies. We'll wait and see if that's exactly what he's mentioning there. And he certainly comes back to the, to the idea that China is bearing the brunt of the trade fight. Uh, that He also mentioned at one point, I think, Kayla, that there may come a time where U.S. consumers will have to shoulder some of the burden, which is a departure from, from some of his previous rhetoric, if I'm not mistaken. It is a departure. It's something that several White House officials have been forced to acknowledge in recent days with the decision to shelve a little bit more than half of those tariffs that the president uh, announced in a surprise way earlier this month, acknowledging that they didn't want to uh, ruin Christmas, they didn't want to impact holiday spending, but even the president there saying that he doesn't want consumers to have to pay at all. All right, Kayla Tausche in Washington for us. Thank you very much, folks. Let's kick it around the table here. As Karen pointed out, uh, the president spoke for about 15 minutes at a time period that he said if Xi jumped in, he could have solved the problem in problem Hong Kong. Problem solved. Yeah, so, problem solved. But he, he, he's clearly making some linkage between what's going on in Hong Kong and the trade conversations, because if one goes badly south, the other is likely to follow. I don't know that G feels like they need to be linked. I don't know. But I think it doesn't help the presidents out there every day. China wants to do a deal. China wants to do a deal. China wants to do a deal. I don't really care. He does. There clearly he does. Every time the market's weak, he says something positive on China. And so it, 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 I think that it should have less and less effect every time he does it. Instead of tweeting about how Jay Powell is the problem. Uh, it's clear that he's negotiating against himself right now because the Chinese don't say a whole heck of a lot other than very pointed statements. And I think it's really important, uh, you know, when you think about what is the concessions to be made for Huawei, this is why we are in this trade fight. And there was a great interview on Squawk and Friends this morning with Tom Friedman where he really talked about it. What are we focused on? We're focused on China's uh, access to their markets. We're focused on IP theft and forced technology transfer. So if you're going to go and just kind of give up the golden goose, which is really Huawei, this is what the this fight's about going forward and letting and, Huawei and, and then have pull access. back on the tariffs, which are the things that actually are the enforcement mechanism of a trade deal. It tells you that we're going nowhere fast. And he's so focused on just the bilateral trade surplus and the idea that the Chinese would buy more ag products. It's really the wrong discussion here. It leads me to believe that if they're going to litigate this by tweet, um, it's not going to go well. It's going to go on until the election year and it doesn't get better from here.
Guy, any thoughts here? Well, yeah, I do have a lot of thoughts. I mean, this started in March of 2018. We're basically in August of 2019. And I said this for a long time. I'll say it again. I don't think we're any closer to the deal today than we were six months ago. We might be further away from a deal, but that's neither here nor there. The Chinese, in their mind, they made a deal decades ago, and that's the deal they're starting trying to adhere to. And to Dan's point, it feels as if we're negotiating against ourselves. Karen says it. Every time the market goes down, you're going to get a tweet. I don't, if you're the a Chinese... that says things are getting better between course, us but and China. Are things getting better? Do you do, I don't really think uh, things are getting better. I mean, I, not, again, I don't so... Again, the market is his barometer. That's the metric they use as a report card. The market goes down. They're going to try to assuage the fears of the market with whatever tweet they think works that day. But again, the Chinese don't seem to be flinching. They seem unwavering. And I don't really think anything's happening in they, the next few months. They may not be flinching, but you do have to go with some of the numbers that we get. The U.S. numbers that have been put out there have been better. Like the been, industrial production number? Our numbers not generally, better. our numbers have been stronger, right? I mean, that's a fact. Well, Our no, numbers but, generally but look, have been P, stronger. You just talk about the, the economy. Are, the economy under Trump has been averaging about 2.5% GDP. You know what the average has been for the last 10 years? 2.2%. And we didn't have these massive corporate tax cuts. We didn't have deregulation. His trade war is sinking the Trump economy. It's sinking the Trump trade. And how's the Chinese economy doing? doing? It doesn't matter. No, it's, it does six, matter it's at 6%. And it's a centrally planned economy. If, if you run, were, and well, you know, the president for life also runs the PBOC. And he, can, he doesn't have to strong arm the uh, Fed chair over right. there. He can just do whatever he wants. I'm he not going to try to talk over you. I'm just going to respond to you. So my response back to you is this. Their economy is in trouble from where it's been. It's at some of the lowest levels, depending on what numbers you want to look at, in 17 years or 20-plus years. And meanwhile, we continue to be moving along. So is it perfect? I'm not saying it's perfect. But I am saying that there is something to be said for the fact that they are suffering far worse right now than we are, in my opinion, from what I'm seeing. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with more Fast Money after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got more breaking news coming in this time on General Electric. And for it, let's go to Morgan Brennan with the details. Hi, Morgan. Hey, Tyler. That's right. So let's lead with this news, shall we? GE CEO Larry Culp buying 252,000 shares of GE today, about $2 million worth of the stock. This on top of the $3 million worth of shares that was disclosed that he had purchased earlier in the week. Just with these two purchases, just this week, he's more than doubled his stake. So why has he done this? Well, because of the report we got today. Whistleblower, uh, and, um, whistleblower and short seller Harry Markopoulos alleged accounting fraud at the company. Here's what he told us on Squawk on the Street earlier today about that. The numbers are missing. Is, uh, they report top line revenues, 
bottom line profits, and nothing in between, like expenses, research and development, selling general administration costs, research and development. It's all missing, including cash flows. They don't provide working capital. It's the only company in that industry that doesn't provide working capital. In fact, GE's working capital is minus 20.3 billion. Their current ratio is 0.67. If you word search current ratio in their annual report, it doesn't appear. Name a company that does that. That's accounting 101. WorldCom and GE and Enron lasted about four months once their accounting frauds were exposed. We'll see how GE does. So GE hitting back on closing bell. I spoke exclusively with GE board member and audit committee chair Leslie Seidman, who says there is no basis for fraud allegations here. This report today set a very dangerous precedent where somebody can just say things um, and then potentially benefit monetarily significantly from the decline in the stock of the company. That is wrong. And I really think that we need to investigate the motives for this. And because here we have uh, Mr. Markopoulos and whatever this unnamed hedge fund is probably benefiting significantly financially today. And yet the holders of GE stock have suffered a loss. GE getting support from noted investor Stanley Druckenmiller, who has been short the company in the past. In a statement, he told CNBC, quote, I believe, Culp, I bought stock today. Tyler, shares plunged in today's trading session down, finishing down 11 percent. Worst day for that stock since the financial crisis. However, given this disclosure we got just a short while ago about Culp adding to his uh, ownership stake, it's up about 3 percent in the after hours trade. All right, Morgan, thank you very much. Morgan Brennan, worst day for the stock since I was an employee of that company and owned the stock <laughs> about 10 years ago. I don't anymore. Sorry thank for your God. loss. Yeah, sorry, sorry for your loss. Anybody, you, you've had positions in options yeah. on this. Puts, for almost right? two years, I've been rolling yeah. puts in this stock, and it's just because of what the activity that we see, Tyler. And, and obviously, some of the numbers have been very unimpressive, and the changes that have been made by GE is probably, I think, they're moving in the right direction. I think Larry Culp, we all, I think, on the desk respect who he is and what he could potentially do with GE, but it's just been down, 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 down. And this started at a $25 stock when this began in July of 2017. We've had 70 separate times where I've seen unusual activity based upon this thing's going a little bit lower built into the puts that were being bought, including today. I was going to say, what did you see today? Multiple buys today, some of them going all the way to the Jan 4 puts, not as big on those, but September puts, October puts, they've been rolling them down, Tyler. Now, this buy obviously has popped this stock, at least in the after hours, in terms of what this news flow has been, but... How long is that going to sustain? I don't know the answer to that. And I love that Larry Culp was in front of this, buying stock yesterday, buying stock today. And Druckenmiller, I think, that adds to it. So the combination of that, I think, spins it positively. But what is there to this story? Is there anything to this story? I mean, this move today was pretty tremendous. Is the, I don't know, Karen, whether you own it, don't own I it. I own leaps that are definitely going to zero. They're definitely right. going to zero. Well, I, you know, my plan was it's very levered. If it works, yep. it turns it around great. You make lots of money. Yep. But you want to know your downside if it doesn't. So they're going to zero. If I'm, a, if I'm just an ordinary person, is there any reason to touch this stock? Only, you know, in your mind, you say General Electric. This is a company my parents grew up with. It's this great American company. And, yeah, I would say in the 60s and 70s, it was probably true. It all changed. And, listen, I didn't read this report. I can't speak intelligently about it. I don't know if it's Enron. I don't know if it's WorldCom. But what I will say is the trajectory of the stock, to Pete's point, been lower for the last couple of years. In one of the best environments in history for their industry, they've underperformed. There's clearly something going on there. So 
Just get the GE out of your head. Look at it for the company is today, and I don't see any compelling reason to own the stock right you, now. You know, I'll just mention this. We all lived through Enron and WorldCom in the early 2000s, and no one really believed that those were, were fraudulent stories until it just until they you, were until it until hit they were you pre- in the face. And I would just say this: yeah. that if this was, if there was any meat to this story, that would mean that there was multiple CEOs that have been brushing a lot of stuff under the rug. Um, Culp must have really taken a fine tooth comb to the financials before. Before he took this job, um, this would have massive reverberations. If this could happen at GE over the last 15 years, can you imagine how many dozens of other companies have really shady practices? And those, not too different. And those CEOs that you reference and those CFOs, and they've had many of them over the past few years, they have all had to personally vouch under yep. penalty of jail yeah. uh, post-Enron, post-WorldCom. Uh, for those results. So they are really putting their freedom on the line. I think the audit chair made a good point. And and again, none of us read this report, or I, I can speak, you know, if this is a bunch of just, you know, kind of hocus pocus, kind of quick, quick money thing, that, that, that guy doing what he did is putting a, a lot on the line. I mean, like, literally, he could go to jail if, if, if there if was he's nothing. Manu- if he's maneuvering yeah, the price. Yeah, so, oh, of course. Well, when you so, say you're talking about which guy? Mark about oh, okay. or whatever. Mark yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, so there's it. a lot at stake on both sides, um, very clearly. So I mean, he, he was talking a lot about the, about the issues in the long-term care insurance right. issue, and I don't know the numbers mm-hmm. very well, but... but but there have been a, that has been a black hole for a lot of companies. It's been a disaster. She did say one thing that sort of stood out to me. I mean, good for her for being on. They had to respond yeah. somehow. And I don't think Culp should have responded. Amen. I, I, you're I don't exactly think you right about that. But she said something. You know, we review these every quarter. Interest rates are down. That means that liability is going to be higher. Think of it as a giant bond. Rates down, that liability is going to be higher. Whether or not that's the magnitude that, I don't know how to pronounce his name correctly, Markopoulos is talking about, I don't know. That's, that was sort of interesting to me. Right. But uh, I don't know. This, this will be an interesting right. one well, for sure. GE, if it, if it, it <laughs> turns out, as Markopoulos or Markopoulos says, uh, it will be one of the uh, massive stories of this decade. Oh, yeah. All right, up next, shares of NVIDIA surging on the back of its earnings. They came out after the bell. We will break down those results. Plus, Grubhub getting served today as the delivery wars heat up. The options market is now betting the food fight is about to get even messier, so don't go anywhere. we got more fast money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It is time for an earnings alert. NVIDIA jumping in the after hours, and Deidre Boza is in San Francisco with more on the news. Hi, Deidre. 
Tyler, you see those shares popping more than 6%. Investor deciding that NVIDIA's results are showing signs of a recovery from last year, which was characterized by lower sales and excess supply. Beyond those headline numbers, though, Tyler, this report in the outlook was more mixed. Data centers seen as a critical segment. NVIDIA is trying to broaden its reach here and diversify from its core gaming business. Revenue came up short in the segment. The company citing a decline in revenue from hyperscale customers like cloud infrastructure providers. SunTrust in a note saying that automotive and gaming strength more than offsetting that weakness in data centers. also want to mention third quarter guidance was lighter than the street was expecting. Now, NVIDIA has tumbled some 12% this month alone. Year to date, though, it is still up about 11%. And on a forward PE basis, it's still one of the pricier chip stocks. Analysts, they're looking for a second half rebound for the chip maker. In a note this week, Wedbush said that there were reasons to be optimistic, pointing to a pickup of Nintendo products that use NVIDIA components in the release of that Switch Lite console. That call is currently underway. Tyler, back to you. All right, Deirdre, let's uh, talk. Thank you very much. Let's talk about uh, trading these names. This stock, though, it was up I think 17% year-to-date. It's down something like 45% well, I mean, it's a, over the past it's, As Deirdre months. mentioned, it's an expensive stock. That's one of the high flyers in terms of valuation have had a rough time. Now, if you look at this stock, half their revenue is in gaming, and gaming revenue is up probably 28% quarter over quarter. That's pretty significant growth. Yeah, data center, I get it, but that's still a very small portion of their business. So you have to ask yourself, does the valuation make sense? Margins are improving. That's a good sign. The guide was not great. I don't think you touch it right here. I think it's in that no man's land where until things get sorted out with the Chinese, until this market sort of shows its hand, I don't think you touch NVIDIA right here. What do you say, Dan? Yeah, no, I think the tariff thing is the biggest overhang. I think we saw a lot of peaks and valleys in demand in different parts of the semiconductor industry last year, getting in front of the tariffs, that sort of thing. And so, obviously, um, this SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index, was one of the first new things to make highs last July, confirming the high in the S&P 500, because really that is a leading indicator, I would say, um, for as far as cyclical tech is concerned. The fact of the matter is the SMH is still below where it was just a few days ago. So stocks rallying like NVIDIA and Texan last week on results that aren't as bad as feared. It's not the most bullish setup, in my opinion. <laughs> I would agree. I don't think it's nearly as bullish. And as a matter of fact, you look at the data center. I mean, that is where you're looking for your growth. I don't know that gaming is where they want to yeah, continue. You've got so much tied to gaming. Right. And you're, you're, and they you're do. hitched to another kind of horse. Right. You're Absolutely. not in control of your destiny in a, in a way. Exactly right. And because of that, I mean, were these, were these numbers great? No, if they look year over year, they definitely are not great. Quarter over quarter, a little bit better. Year over year, you're like, ah, it's not so great. So because of that, I'm with these guys. I don't know that it's a touch right now, Tyler. I think especially given the valuation, you'd want to wait for some kind of a pullback, I think, in this stock. I think there's better names right now that fundamentally trade at a much better P.E. level like than when what? you're looking. Well, for instance, like an Intel or, or like uh, some of the other names, maybe a Micron, some of the, somebody else in the chip area. But I just look at this name and I love it. I think they're really well run, but I think they've been struggling to grow in the data center. And obviously there's been some headwinds as well. Forgive me for not knowing this. Aren't they deeply involved in autonomous driving? Yes. Yes. And that's, yes. that's but that is still the, a smaller portion it's a smaller of what portion, But it's over the next hill. Well, yeah. data center, I think, is three times the size. Yeah. So the data center weakness, that might not bode well for Intel either. But I agree with Dan. This, 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 the semiconductors are in the crosshairs directly of the trade yes. situation. And I'm not optimistic on a near-term All solution. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Coming up, anybody hungry? Shares of Grubhub sinking right. to a fresh 52-week low. And options traders are betting investors could take an even bigger bite out of this stock. We will break down the action. 
Plus, take a look at uh, Mr. Kramer, the Kramer Cam. Jim is breaking down today's wild market moves and how to play them. That is coming up at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Fast Money continues straight away. Boy, I wish everybody was here during the break. We're talking about muscalunge. They're telling fish stories, but we're going to talk about maybe eating some fish with Grubhub here. Uh, check out Grubhub hitting a new 52-week low today. The food delivery stock getting pureed oh, as on. market. Oh. There you go. I made up for the, for the roller coaster, didn't I? Uh, volatility is ramping up. Options traders are betting Grubhub is about to get hit even harder. Dan is at the Plasma with Options Action. Walk us through it, Dan. Yeah, so Tyler, this one's interesting because it's not one that you see a whole heck of a lot of options volume in. But today, put volume was three times that of calls. And there seem to be buyers of the September 50 puts. 9,000 traded in small lots on average for about $1.28. The stock average today, a little above 59. So if you think about that, if you're buying those puts and that is an outright bearish bet, you are looking for a break even down 17% in a little more um, than a month. That seems like a pretty significant move. But here's the thing. This stock is down 60% from its all-time highs made last year. It's down 24% on the year and just made a new 52-week low today. Let's think about some of the things that are going on. Obviously, Uber, which has one of their biggest competitors, Uber Eats, is getting just creamed in the public market since going public in May. And we also know that they've got two massive competitors, DoorDash, which is valued at $12 billion versus Grubhub's $5 billion public market cap, and they're spending a lot of that VC money to get growth, right, to get to the public markets, and obviously there's Postmates too. So here's the one-year chart here. This thing just broke that prior low here, making new lows, and I think it's really interesting to put this thing in some context since it's 2014 IPO. This huge run-up, this is the bullishness that was surrounded all of these tech unicorns that were preparing to come to the public markets, and I think a lot of people thought, well, here's Grubhub, has been in the public market for years. Why doesn't this thing have a better valuation? It's got some good growth. You know what happened here? This growth started to decelerate meaningly as some of these, uh, meaningfully as like Uber and Postmates and DoorDash started to kind of gear up to go public and kind of get that uh, exceptional growth could, that could help it make a public debut in a splashy way. And then you have this um, decline right here. I think it's really important to keep an eye on some of these names here. They could be a decent barometer for just kind of sentiment towards these high valuation money losing things. This company, they do make money, but their earnings are decelerating as they fend off these uh, guys in the public uh, in the private markets. Dan, thank you very much. And a lot of these companies don't make money, right? On right. this at all. I mean, they're losing money right on schedule. Right? Hand over fist. It's a land grab right yeah. now. Between yeah. Uber Eats and DoorDash and I mean, Caviar just got sold. I don't know. I guess you've got to spend money to make money, but sometimes if you spend yeah, but too much money, you get you... chase good with bad or bad with good. But real quick, I mean, the quarter wasn't bad. They reported second quarter on July 30th. The guide was atrocious. The stock basically went from 32 to 150. It's probably going to round trip. Those 50 puts probably come in play. Big short interest, 27 percent. They're going to probably win out. All right, folks, we're going to take a break for the full options action show. I did it last week. I, it was fun. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. All right, folks, folks, it's time for a final trade. Let's go around the, the horn, beginning with you, Pete. You know, the industrials, we've seen some pressure on them. There might even be more XLI. They were put buying today. I think this is going lower. All right, Karen? Yes, so some retailers doing quite well. Walmart today 
Very good. Very but good. too expensive, I think. Target also is going to do well. I like Target right here. Dan, got a thought here? I think retail is a disaster. Just look at the XRT, worst chart in the market. But I'd also tell you that XLF banks do not look good. They do not act well. I would not be a buyer. All right. T Tyler, unbelievable. Guy, You're back job. tomorrow. Thank no, you. I'm not. I think oh Scott my is here. God. My friend Scott is here. Well, Scott's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a Lauren would cost. That. Eastman Chemical. E-M-N. That does it for us. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts in three, two, one. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.